Welcome back, people of Flagstaff, to another edition of the Double Double here on the Wednesday edition. I'm here with my co-host, Chad Piper. I'm Casey Everett, and we're here with our usual guest, Cooper Lewis. And we have a new guest today on our first segment. Christopher, how you all doing today? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Another day. Doing well, fellas. Doing well. All right. So we're going to jump right into it. The first thing we're going to be talking about today is the MVP and like the whole voting process that goes into that. So starting in 1980, they changed it from the players voting for the MVP to a bunch, like 101, uh, 101 sports writers and broadcasters voting for the MVP to see who gets the most like first place votes, second place votes, and they go all the way down to fifth place. And there's been a lot of controversy talking about whether LeBron James was snubbed, whether the voting process is rigged, do people even watch basketball anymore? So, Chad, going right into you, what do you think of this whole MVP voting disaster? Um, personally, I think it's all over the place. I mean, if you're voting for the most viable player, for one person to win an award, what is the point of even having fourth and pl fifth place votes? I mean, I get it if you want to have first, second, third place votes because usually – there's three top players in contention every year. But, I mean, for guys like Jason Tatum to be on the list just because he received one fifth-place vote, guy like Chris Paul just received a couple, I mean, it's just pointless. I mean, have LeBron James and Giannis Antetokounmpo fight out for those first and second-place votes and have James Harden and Luka Doncic and whoever else the media members see as that third-place filling position. That's the way I would go about it personally. Yeah, and it just seems like the voting's all over the place. Like, I saw, like, this one guy voted. I looked at the, like, polls for all the – because they released it on NBA.com that even for, like, the defensive player of the year, like, people are voting Patrick Beverly over, like, Giannis and Rudy Gobert and stuff like that. So, like, you can just tell, like, the whole MVP and, like, whole award system is just totally out of whack. Uh, going to you, Cooper, what do you think of all this? Um, yeah, I think it's a little ridiculous that they have so many people on there and they just have like one through five. I agree with Chad where he's like, just have like the two guys battle out for the first and then you have like five guys battle out for second and third. Because um, here's the thing is like, yeah, you're, it's cool that you're in like talks with like some of the greats in basketball right now, but like everyone's kind of just fighting for that one MVP. No one cares about, oh, you got second place MVP. Like they only talk about the MVP. So yeah. I think it's a little weird that they're doing that. And yeah, like I feel like they should move back to where the players are doing it. Cause even if a player like doesn't do well, like a media person only sees the stats while players, if they went up against them, they're like, you know what? I held them to 15 points, but like it was hard. And like they have that element into voting for them. Yeah. And it's like one of those things the players know more about everything. Like, Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, said that Tony Allen was the best defender to ever guard him, but, like, he got no recognition on the defensive player of the year, like, that often. So maybe the, going back to the players is actually a good option for that. Chris, going on to you, MVP voting, what's going on? Look, I'm appalled, you know. Um, not to be biased, I'm a Lakers fan, you know, and <laughs> I just feel like LeBron James, James should have been the MVP, you know. Um, thinking back to, I know, I understand Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks were the first seed in the playoffs, you know. Uh, but they got knocked out, you know. 
of the round and you have to like theoretically and like statistically if you are like if you are if you if you are Adam Silver you know and and you're doing all these votes and you have all these people in the office and you know people are, are voting everywhere you literally have to make the right choice you know the right choice is to go with LeBron James how are you gonna pick Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, MVP when he just got kicked out of the playoffs by who who did they lose to the Heat? The Heat. Mm-hmm. The Heat, you know, and it and it, LeBron James he did get snubbed, but I mean this voting is everywhere and I'm appalled and it needs to be changed like fast, you know, but I mean what what can you do? I mean Giannis is a beast too, so yeah. I mean it's just one of those things, yeah. I mean LeBron was talking about like the uh, most improved too, and Levante Graham, who was averaging four points the season before, jumped up to seventeen and a half points, and he didn't even get like close to first or second. Like that just comes to show you, like these sports writers and like sportscasters and writers, whatever, are just not paying attention to the game. And people are going to be biased in that too. Like sports writers obviously are biased; they pick them from every state, so that their favorite team is probably going to get some votes for things that they probably shouldn't. So going into that, does do you think that the MVP should be considered only in the playoffs or do you think it should be like just a regular season award going on to you, Chad? I think they should hand out the MVP right before they start the NBA Finals. I mean, there's another award for Finals MVP, so – say two different teams with a player that's not in contention for MVP, they can fight out for finals MVP and fight out for those finals. But I mean, the playoffs is where the best players in the league shine. I mean, Luka Doncic was single-handedly carrying his team without Chris Sapsworth and took the Clippers to six games. Jamal Murray right now would probably be third place in MVP voting if the playoffs counted because the guys just went on absolute tear. But I mean, to just go off the regular season, I get it. It's a regular season award as of right now, but they should definitely consider changing it to, I would ha- give out that award right before the NBA finals. So then you can see these guys like Giannis and Kumpo, who just lay an egg in the playoffs and back-to-back years isn't deserving of that trophy. Guys like LeBron James, Anthony Davis that are putting up these monster numbers in the biggest games and the biggest moments of the season should get more credibility for that when it comes to these trophies. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, yes, there is like an NBA finals, like MVP and everything, but, and they didn't even count the bubble stats too, which is kind of weird. Like they already did the voting before that. So it was just premature. So like everything was just premature in the voting process this year. Everything was just messed up in my opinion, but going on to you, Chris, what do you think? Um, I, I honestly agree too. Um, look, playoff basketball is, is where the stars shine. I mean, this is where, this is what we want to see. This is what we look at the TV screen to watch. We are not trying to watch regular season games. We want to see who wins a championship. And the NBA needs to do something where they need to, you know, the first game of the NBA finals, they need to, you know, give that trophy, the MVP, trophy to like a LeBron James or to whoever's in the NBA finals like even like a Damian Lillard how are you not gonna add a Damian Lillard who was putting up 30 plus points in the bubble 
you know, and he's not even like close to even being on that MVP list, you know, it, it's kind of rigged. And I feel like, you know, LeBron James, he's getting older and older. Like he, I mean, he's like 35 and he's still playing like he's like 25 and yeah, exactly. he's, he's not winning an MVP at this age when he's going to lead his team to the NBA finals. I mean, it's, it's not fair, you know, even like, a, even uh, we were talking about Luka Doncic. I mean, dude, he triple doubles like almost every game. How are you not going to, like, if you're, if you're out in silver, how are you not going to, you know, like, how are you not going to like recognize that? It, it's just kind of like appalling, you know? And I feel like NBA needs to do something like drastically because like this is, you know, it, it's upsetting, you know, even LeBron James is upset about this. But I mean, I feel like something should, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's just, it's bad. Even with the all-star voting too. The yeah. all-star voting is bad too also. So. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Like they have in the uh, MLB where it's like, they have the MVP for both leagues. Maybe they should go to that, having an MVP in both conferences. Maybe they need to do something like that. Or they just – and then there's a playoff MVP and then a World Series MVP. Maybe they need to do stuff like that where it's kind of like spreading out, like, the awards. Because having one MVP for 30 teams is – a like, one person out of 30 teams is not that great. But going on to you, Coop, do you – what do you think they should do? Yeah, going back with Chad, like, I think they should give out the MVP award right before the finals because they do have the finals MVP. And it just shows you the players that, like, thrive, especially, uh, like, in the playoffs. And, like, the, uh, how they didn't even count, like, the bubbles that's in. No one saw, like, Devin Booker or Damian Lillard or, um, like, even, like, Rondo in the playoffs. Like, they're – they're kind of sleepers in the regular season, but all of a sudden they just explode. And I think it was like Chris Paul when they were in the series with the Heat where he goes like the fourth quarter like of the playoffs, like a series tied 3-3, that it's like it benefits special people for this. And I feel like that is – they need to start incorporating the playoffs into that because like look at Jamal Murray. He is exploding in the playoffs. They've come, they've come back 3-1 twice now. And, but like, you would have never heard, like, he's probably not even, like, I haven't seen the exact polls, but I doubt he has a lot of votes for the MVP because they don't incorporate the playoffs. So I will agree with Chad, like, they need to push it so it incorporates all the playoffs so you see who explodes and who really, like, takes the, uh, the playoffs seriously. And then you, like, if they go into the uh, finals, they go into the finals. But then, the finals are for that special team and team that did the best, and that's why they have the finals MVP. Yeah, and I totally agree. There's something – we all agree that something just needs to be changed, whether it's the voting, who's voting, when it's given out. But something definitely needs to change because it's just – like LeBron getting 16 out of the 100 votes, like 100-plus votes, 101 votes, is just crazy. Like he's putting up – like almost like averaging a triple double when he's 35 years old. Like it's, and he's snubbed almost every year to think about it because we take it for granted how good he is and he's done it consistently. But we, if we give LeBron James the award every year, it's just like, I feel like people wouldn't want to watch like as much, but at the same time, it's like the whole Mike Trout situation. Mike Trout is the best player in baseball. 
he should win the MVP. He's putting up the numbers. He's the best player in baseball. It's like the same thing with LeBron James. It's just one of those things. But there's nothing that is going to change right now. Hopefully in the future is something does change. But that's going to wrap up the first part of this segment. Uh, we'll be right back after this break. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in to the Wednesday edition of the Double Double on KLJX LP Flagstaff. I am one of your hosts, Chad Piper, alongside my co-host, Casey Everett. We have basically our third co-host here with us for the fourth time in a row, Cooper Lewis, and we have a new special guest with us as well. Chris, how's everyone doing today, guys? Pretty good, man. Good, good. Good, good. Good, good to hear. I mean, what a crazy series that we have going on. I mean, the Lakers and Nuggets, I mean, the Nuggets coming back from 3-1 in back-to-back series to advance to the Western Conference Finals now to take on the number one seed, the Los Angeles Lakers. With Anthony Davis hitting the game winner on a three-pointer as the buzzer expired to give the Lakers the win, 105-103. to 103. Casey, I'm going to start with you. In regards to that last play, would you say that was a defensive mistake or just a good offensive play called by the Lakers? I, well, here's the thing. I think Anthony Davis said it after the game that it's always meant to go to LeBron, but it just happened to find – like Rondo happened to find him right there and he just put it up. And it's one of those things where you just have to go with your gut as like a playmaker, like Rondo, find the open man, Anthony Davis takes that shot and he makes it. But I also want to talk about the defense by the Nuggets leading into that because they got a stop, but couldn't secure the rebound or was it a steal maybe or a block, but they couldn't secure the ball. Couldn't get the rebound. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't get the rebound. And then that happens. And, if I'm a Nuggets fan after that game, I'm like, man, that sucks. <laughs> like, to lose like that, game winner, Anthony Davis, but game end point, Anthony Davis. Yeah, like you said, I mean, I mean, being down one, it's not like um, Mason Plumley could have just left LeBron James open. If Mason Plumley would have went out to guard Anthony Davis, LeBron would have cut right to the rim and it would have been a dunk for the win. So, I mean – Jokic made a heck of an attempt to get out there and contest the shot. But, Chris, sending it over to you, what did you think about that last play? Wow, I just I just thought it was beautiful. I mean, you had LeBron James set the screen. I mean, who could get through LeBron James? I mean, he's the GOAT. And then you have a seven-footer in Anthony Davis. Who, who can play defense against that? That's just a great shot. It's a great look. And it's a great pass by Rajon Rondo, another, uh, another one who has a championship. You know, um, that was just a great play by Frank Vogel. He, he drew it up right. And the Lakers found the open man in Anthony Davis. And that's what the, uh, the Lakers brought him there for, is, is to make big shots and to win a championship. Yeah, like you said, I mean, unbelievable pass by Rondo. I mean, I feel like nobody was talking about that. He put that pass right on the money, right in the shooter's pocket for a good three-point shooter in Anthony Davis. What did you think about it, Coop? Um, yeah, like, watching it over and again, like, like you were saying, like, he could have, like, they could have passed to LeBron or, like, uh, covered Anthony a little bit well, but, like, LeBron's going to take it in for it. Um, but I do think it was, like, a active move for Rondo to give it to Davis, because, like, he was, like, like, like Anthony Davis says, he's, like, it always usually goes to LeBron, so it's, like, why not try to give it to someone else? Because they're not going to be expecting that. Like LeBron's size and like his IQ and like his speed and everything, like they're almost 99% of the time going to assume it's going to him. 
So even just sending it to Anthony Davis, like that's just throwing them off a little bit. But there wasn't much they could do. I honestly think it just comes down to like the Lakers and specifically LeBron James and Rondo, like their playoff experience um, in these type of uh, scenarios. But like you were saying, not much they could do. It was a really good effort by um, was a Joe Kick or John Kick or whatever. And uh, but it ultimately it, I saw that shot going in either if it was to Anthony Davis or uh, LeBron James. Yeah, like you said, I mean playoff experience. You could tell those three guys and Rondo, LeBron, and AD. Even though he hasn't been in those big moments yet, he is a special player. And none of them were rattled at all. But moving on to Game Three. The Nuggets won 114 to 106 last night. And Chris, I'm going to start with you. In game three, the Nuggets pushed, they had the, their biggest lead of the night was 20 points, which was the Lakers' biggest margin they faced in this playoff so far. What do you think went wrong for the Lakers last night? Um, I just think uh, the Nuggets, they don't quit. I mean, they do not quit. They would do anything to catch a lead to win the game they'll do anything and they got killed on the boards I mean uh Joe uh Jokic he's just too big you know Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis they have to do a better job you know boxing out because at one point I I saw Anthony Davis's stat line it said he had like zero rebounds in like third quarter so um they did a really good job you know and the Nuggets are hungry I mean they come down from 2-0 you know 3-1, you know, like, they, they, they love being, you know, uh, games down. That, that's, what it, that's what it seems like, you know. So, the Lakers, they have to be careful, you know, but um, they still have LeBron James. But, I mean, this is going to be a good series. I think it's going to go game six, game six, game seven, you know, uh, Lakers. But, you know, it's, it's still a long series. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, the Lakers just got absolutely dominated on the boards. I mean, the Nuggets out-rebounding them 44-25. to 25. Uh, Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, and JaVale McGee combined for four rebounds, which is just absolutely terrible. And, I mean, the Nuggets, for once, finally got off to a good start. I mean, they were beating the Lakers after the first quarter, which after, in games one and two, they were down almost double digits after both first quarters. And you could tell they were really playing at their tempo. But, um, Cooper, going over to you, what do you think went wrong for the Lakers in game three? Um, I think, like, uh, what Chris was saying, like, the Nuggets just don't quit. And you can see it with, like, the numbers you're putting up. Like, Grant and Murray almost hitting 30 points each and Jockett going up 20-plus. Uh, while, like, you had, like, McGee and Green on the Lakers only combining for eight. And like you said, like, Davis uh, – it was a Green and Howard or McGee and Howard. They only added up four rebounds, like, and especially with Anthony Davis, where he was like in the box of like defensive player of the year and stuff. Like, it's kind of they kind of slipped up on him, but ultimately, like they they won. But like the other two games, they've been close. I think this will go for a while. This is going to be a good series to watch. But like with Chris Han, I see it going to six. I don't know if the Lakers will have them go to seven because I just don't see the Lakers making the mistake that the Jazz and the Clippers did with, like, kind of giving – like, going up 3-1 and kind of, like, giving them the chance to come back because that's when they're on fire. 
So I think it's going to be a close series, but ultimately I think the Lakers are treating the Nuggets like a real playoff and finals contender. That's why I think they're going to win. Yeah, like you said, and uh, for the Nuggets, I mean, game four is essentially, if you think about it, a win-win because they either win game four and they tie the series or they lose and they're down 3-1. And uh, they just don't quit. They're probably, they could go down as one of the best basketball teams of all time while they're down 3-1. And like like you touch up on those, the other guys is what the broadcasts on TNT were calling it. I mean, Jeremy Grant with six points, Monte Morris with fourteen, and Michael Porter with nine points. Just that that production off the bench for the Nuggets was just so huge for them. And the Lakers just got absolutely no production off their bench last night. I mean, Kuzma pump faking a wide open three and then bricking it when the Lakers on a run to get the game almost tied. But Casey, throwing over to you, what did you think of? Uh, the Lakers struggles in game three yeah it's it's it was a good game I mean the the Nuggets led through the first three quarters and then the Lakers tried to make a run they cut it down to like two three points and then they just struggled and at the end of the game it just seemed like LeBron was just like kind of over it he like was slouching around and, but it, overall it was a good game I don't think it's going to hurt them too much uh, they need to get back to rebounding the basketball a lot better because LeBron led them in rebounds with 10. But also the Nuggets, they just don't quit. They had nine offensive rebounds compared to the Lakers' four. The Lakers only got, I think it was three blocks throughout the whole game, which they usually are up to like five, six blocks a game. So, yeah, I just think it was one of those games where they kind of thought they could just roll past this team. But these the Nuggets are just – they're proving that they are a good team and they're a lot better than anybody like anticipated. And it, it, it shows because over the last couple of years, they're just climbing and climbing. They're getting farther and farther in the playoffs every year. So Lakers have to be careful, but I think the Lakers will be fine going into game, uh, game four. Yeah. I mean, the Nuggets, they just look so determined to win that game after a heartbreaker in game two, but uh, I'm going to throw it around to all of you guys real quick. What do you think is one key takeaway if you think the Nuggets or the Lakers are going to win, whoever you think is going to win, what main takeaway needs to happen for that team to win? Uh, Chris, I'll start with you. Um, I just think uh, they have to I, – I think they have to they have to work hard. You know, they have to rebound, make sure they play defense, you know, because this series is looking like it's turning into like a little scrappy series, you know, where – teams you know are, are not quitting you know like it's a western conference finals so they're just gonna have to have an extra grit you know um and lakers in order for them to win they cannot get beat on the boards like that they cannot have they cannot let the nuggets have 20 more rebounds in them you know because i mean Jokic is an all-star i mean jamal murray is an all-star he's showing he's showing like it so I mean, it's it's going to be a tough series, but I say Lakers in six. What about you, Coop? Yeah, um, I honestly think that the Nuggets, they, they're going to put up a fight. And in order for the Nuggets to win, they're going to have to kind of come together and just honestly just keep doing what they're doing. Uh, I don't know if they can afford to go down 3-1 again, even though they have been on fire with it. But I just don't think that – like, let alone if they do get to 3-1, I don't think the Lakers are going to let them get uh, come back like that, like, again, with the Clippers and the Jazz. So, 
uh, I feel like the Nuggets just need to keep doing what they're doing, maybe have that, like, like their Cinderella moment. But the Lakers, yeah, just don't – they can't slip up on that defense. And they really just got to exercise that playoff experience that they have. What about you, Casey? Yeah, I think the Nuggets, in order to win that series, they, they're already so good. And it's one of the, they've done so well throughout the playoffs. But they can't go down 3-1 again. They need to tie up the series to go into game four, like they need it, or game five, and tie it up for them to, like, get past the Lakers. But if they go down 3-1 again, I don't see them coming back from that. Um, but their chemistry is on point. They're a good team. They, but I want the Lakers to win because that was my bracket in the beginning. I had Lakers versus Celtics in the final old school. So for the Lakers to win, they need to be, they need to be better on the defensive end. They need to rebound the basketball, and they just need to show that they have more playoff experience throughout, and I think they'll be fine. Since uh, the Clippers are out in my bracket that me and you had um, constructed, I'm going to be taking the Nuggets just to be different, go against all you guys. I'm going to be rooting for the Nuggets. I think they can come back and win the series in seven. They've kind of looked like the better team, and I think their biggest thing is if they can control the boards and they can't turn the ball over, I mean – they were the better team for about 44 of the 48 minutes last night. When the Lakers made their run last night, it was because the Nuggets had six straight turnovers, allowing the Lakers back in the game. The Lakers play great defense. They want to get out and transition and run. But uh, I'm going to have the Nuggets going in seven. But that is going to wrap up this first half-hour segment here on the Double Double. We'd like to thank our guests, Chris and Cooper, for joining us here tonight. We'll have a new guest, Sean, uh, joining us after the break. Stay tuned. Welcome back, guys, to the Double Double here on KLJX LP Flagstaff. We just had a great conversation in our first segment about the MVP voting and was LeBron snubbed, all these things. And then we also talked about the Lakers and Nuggets series where the Lakers are leading 2-1 in that series. But we're going to start this segment off going into my favorite soccer player and Gareth Bale moving back to Spurs on loan for a year. I'm going to give it right to you, Sean. What do you think of all this? Gareth Bale is one of the most talented wings in soccer in the last decade. He was very productive with Tottenham from 2007 to 2013. And when he moved to Real Madrid, he was incredible. He had a Copa del Rey winning goal where he just dribbled past half the FC Barcelona defense at midfield, and he put it away, and Real Madrid won. Gareth Bale won four Champions League trophies including the fourth one where he scored the Champions League winning goal on a bicycle kick, one of the best goals in Champions League final history. Gareth Bale did not get much playing time last year as he butted heads with manager Zanin Zidane, prompting him to celebrate with the flag Wales, Golf, Madrid, in that order. That, that is a real thing that Gareth Bale waved around after playing with Wales on international duty. He didn't get much playing time with Real Madrid, so he now goes to Tottenham, back to Tottenham. Now, Tottenham really, really, really needed this. If you look at last year's Champions League, they were ousted 4 to nothing in the round of 16 by RB Leipzig. Why? Because their two best players in Hongmin Son and Harry Kane were both out with injury. Harry Kane and Hongmin Son have proved that they can be dynamic together. I mean, heck, look at their last match. Harry Kane had four assists 
Hongmin Son had four goals. That's nuts. It's a great duel. But if they're injured, Tottenham had no one else to turn to last year. And if they're injured again, who's he going to turn to? Well, now they have their answer. Bale can fit right into that offense because of his wing quality and positioning. He is creative. He can kick a team on his back. He did this with Wales in the 2016 Euro, leading them all the way to the semifinal. Bale will be rejuvenized, rejuvenated after sitting on the bench for a couple of years with Real Madrid. It's going to be very exciting to see what he does. He won't be able to play until October because he is recovering from an injury. He suffered on international duty. But it is still a huge move for Tottenham. I think it is great to see him back in the Premier League. I think it's great to see great players go from one league to the Premier League in general because the Premier League is the best, and I like to see all the talent in the Premier League. So this is, this is great. I'm very happy about this. Yeah, I think I'm really happy about it too. Being a Real Madrid fan, I, my favorite player is Gareth Bale. When he came to Real Madrid, I was, I was so, so happy. I can't even explain it because he was my favorite player. I played with him in FIFA all the time. And then I just started watching him, and he won four Champions Leagues, Copa del Rey, a league. He's done everything there already, and the fans treat him so poorly. He never learned Spanish because nobody – he doesn't – like, none of the fans ever, like, cared about him. You could tell right when he stepped on the pitch, they were like, oh, man. Like, if he did one thing wrong, it was, like, the worst thing to ever happen to him. And then going on to that, too, is, like, Zinedine Zidane not playing him – you, you have to play this guy. He's so dynamic. You're playing Rodrigo, who's a 20-year-old, 20, 20 and then Lucas Vasquez, who's a good bench player to come off the bench to give energy. But Gareth Bale is one of those players. He's going to do his job. He's going to create for his – he's going to create in offense. And he's he scored over 100 goals there in 240 matches. It just comes to show that he's a dynamic player, and Zinedine Zidane just didn't treat him right while he was there. And it's super poor. And if you look at it, I was looking at these stats yesterday. I, you can make an argument that Gareth Bale was a better player during his time at Real Madrid than Zinedine Zidane was. Would you make that argument? Oh, that is bold. The biggest reason I can't agree with that is because you can't just look at the skill and the production he had. Zinedine Zidane was the captain. He was the leader. Zidane provided leadership that Bale never did. As great as Bale is, even on Tottenham, he, he was never a leader. That's not his role. Zidane was. He's all, remember, he was also the leader of, of the French national team, which that's also a pretty prestigious title. So because of that, I, I can't help but disagree with that. And that's fine, and I realize that. But, like, looking at acc accolades during that time, during that time, four Champions Leagues. Zidane only had one Champions League where he scored the volley against, I think it was Sevilla. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen. Bayern Leverkusen, there you go. And then Gareth Bale's won more at Real Madrid than Zinedine Zidane did. And they were expected to win a lot more with the Galacticos era. So I think they just treated Gareth Bale super poorly, and it's just unfortunate that he has to go out this way. He's going out on loan for a year. If he rejuvenizes his career, he's 31 at this point. So if he comes back to Real Madrid, fine. They're paying half of his wage at Tottenham right now, about 300,000 pounds a week, a week, mind you. 
But Chad, I'm going to just ask you a simple one. What do you make of Gareth Bale? Do you think he should have wanted out or do you think he should have stayed? Uh, from what everything I've gathered from you two talking here in the last five or seven minutes, if I was him, I would want to be out. I mean, to be someone who's won so many prestigious titles and so many had so many clutch moments in big games, to not be able to play. I mean, it sounds like he is getting older, 31 years old, first soccer player. Is that is that pretty old or is that still pretty He's young? He's just getting out of his prime, I would say. Yeah. Okay. So, and I mean, they did send him out on loan. So after that one year, could they get him back or no? Yeah, they can. Okay. So, I mean, I feel like they're, they're just loaning him out. If he has a great year, maybe they bring him back and put him back into the lineup. But like Sean was saying, Tottenham, I mean, to have this third option really is good for them just in case. So they don't fall into the same struggles as last year when their two main guys got hurt in the playoffs but so yeah all right cool well yeah it's just yeah Jared Bale it's just sad to see him go down that path and then I'm, I'm really hoping I know a lot of people are saying that going to Tottenham is like he's not going to do anything stuff like that but that front three of Youngman Song Harry Kane and then Gareth Bale that's that's a lineup to be reckoned with and they just need to figure out their defense a little bit and then I feel like they'll be fine they're under a good coach John Mourinho so I think I think they'll be fine I really do I also want to add on that they also got another player from Real Madrid the same day they got defender Sergio uh, Regulon who was on loan from Real Madrid to Sevilla and Sevilla won the Europa League last year and now Tottenham got him as well really bolstering their defense, which is a move I like even more than getting Gareth Bell, just because Tottenham has not exactly had the, the most consistently good back line the last few years. Yes, the center backs usually were solid, but the the, 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 the full backs, uh, not so much. Kyle Walker is good, but th there hasn't been true consistency there. But Regulon is a phenomenal signing. I really like that part. Tottenham should – should be good to make a top run, especially with how terrible Manchester United looked against Crystal Palace. It was abysmal. Oh, that was that was terrible. If they play like that against Man City, they're going to get run out of the building twice. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah, they lost 1-0 to Crystal Palace, man. But, yeah, I do agree with you. The, the signing of Reguilon is a really good signing. I mean, 30 million pounds. Real Madrid have a chance to get him back in two years. That's the only reason why Manchester United said no to him is because of that two-year buyback to $40 million. They're taking a chance. They want to win now, and they want to get back into that top four, and there's a chance that they can. And it just comes to show that Real Madrid has some really good players. Like, Regulon took over for Marcelo for, like, more than half of the season when Marcelo wasn't playing at his best. So I really like that signing as well. I totally forgot until you said that. But I really like that signing from them as well. So watch out for Tottenham this year. They're going to be a really good team. Um, Arsenal's doing good. Everton also picking up the loose ends at Real Madrid with James Rodriguez. He's putting up numbers. So the odd men's out at Real Madrid are making really good impacts right now. So I really like everything that like Real Madrid is doing. They're sending out players that they're not going to use and giving them to teams that could use them in the future and right now so I 
everything that Real Madrid's done is okay. They just need to sign some players. But back to Gareth Bale, I think it's the best move for his career right now. Um, he needs to get back into a place where he can actually speak the language, communicate with their teammates, and prosper like he used to back at Tottenham. So hopefully we see the Gareth Bale of old back at Tottenham. But we'll see what goes on there. I'm really excited for it. But any last thoughts, Sean, on this whole thing? The biggest thing I'll say as, as, as we close this segment is Real Madrid is – Thank God let go some of their star players. Now, you say Gareth Bale is your favorite player. One of, if not my favorite players, is James Rodriguez, another player that was trapped under Zanin Sadan's dictatorship. He was finally let go, and he got with it, and he's now with Everton. Everton, as I talked about last week, won one to nothing over, over Tottenham, ironically enough. And now Everton, they just dropped five goals on West Bromwich Albion, and Hamas Rodriguez scored a long-range missile past the goalkeeper's left. And Hamas is energizes Everton attack. Dominic Calvert-Lewin at a hat trick. It's good to see Hamas Rodriguez thriving once again. It's kind of like Colombia. He's he's now the main facilitator in an offense with good but not great pieces around him. Hamas looks very comfortable, and it's fantastic to see. Yeah, and that front line, if Calvert-Lewin keeps firing on all cylinders with him or Charlie Sun and Hamas Rodriguez, they could also make a top-four run. They're not quite there yet, but they did a lot this offseason to get midfielders as well. So it'll be this Premier League season's up in the air for anybody, I think, and it should be exciting to watch. But that's going to end the segment on Gareth Bale and Real Madrid and their whole transfer saga. But when we get back... We're going to be talking about the NFL and their injury-prone seasons. Okay, we'll be right back after this commercial. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Wednesday edition of the Double Double here on KOJX LP Flagstaff. I'm one of your hosts, Chad Piper, alongside my co-host, Casey Everett. And we have a guest with us, Sean Clark. How are you doing today, Sean? Doing great. I'm glad the NFL and Premier League are well underway. Wish there wasn't so many injuries, but... Unfortunately, that couldn't be avoided with no preseason. And speaking of injuries, that's exactly what we're going to hop into first. I mean, one of the, the reigning uh, NFC's champion, the San Francisco 49ers, played against the New York Jets this past season at MetLife Stadium, which is the home of the Jets and the New York Giants, which they recently had new turf put in this year. And a whole bunch of the 49ers players unfortunately got – some serious injuries, a lot more than we've seen in a long time. But, Sean, I'm going to throw it over to you. The 49ers were complaining about the turf, saying it was too sticky. What do you make of that whole situation? Man, this is a really unfortunate situation, to say the least. Let me just give a quick list of players that suffered injuries. Jimmy Garoppolo, ankle injury, questionable to play against the Giants. Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman have knee injuries. Doubtful to play against the New York Giants on Sunday. Debo Samuel, their top receiver, still on IR from the preseason. George Kittle, star tight end, didn't play again. Nick Bosa, star defensive end, rookie of the year, out for the season. Defensive end Solomon Thomas, third overall pick in 2017, out for the season. Richard Sherman, suffered an injury. D. Ford, suffered an injury. This is ridiculous. The 49ers lost so many key players 
the turf is definitely a part of it, but also that's just getting back into the flow of things combined with just bad luck. There, there's just a lot of bad luck that happens. A lot of times when you have a lineman that gets injured, it's usually they plant their foot wrong, they get rolled up, which is something that just happens accidentally. I, I think that the turf definitely has something to do with it, but it's just unfortunate for the 49ers. Now, here's the good thing. They do have Kyle Shanahan as their head coach, which means that they can do more with less. He can do a bunch of misdirections. He can run the ball. He can do bootlegs. He can do screens. He can do draws, yada, yada, yada. The fact that Kyle Shanahan is the coach means that the 49ers are still going to be contenders. And don't forget, Jarek McKinnon is still here. And as any Raiders fan will tell you, Nick Mullins is better than Jimmy Garoppolo. All, Raiders fans all think that after Nick Mullins torched them on Thursday Night Football a couple of years ago. So look forward to possibly Nick Mullins being the guy going forward to Jimmy Garoppolo recovers from his injury. I mean, to be fair, Jimmy Garoppolo is not a great quarterback, so it's not too much of a downgrade. Yeah, and like you mentioned, I mean, the 49ers are going to have to rely heavily on Jarek McKinnon. And to give him the full workload is going to be tough. I mean, he missed the past two seasons from injuries. And to give it off to Nick Mullen, some guy who doesn't really get first-team reps week in and week out, I mean, the 49ers are lucky. They play at the Giants, who are 0-2. They play at home versus the Eagles, who are 0-2. And they play the Dolphins, who are 0-2. But then after that, their schedule starts to get amped up. They play at home versus the Rams, who are 2-0, at the Patriots, who have looked rejuvenated under Cam Newton, and at the Seahawks. So if the 49ers don't get it going, don't get these guys back quick, they could, their season could be over fast. But we are still in week three. But throwing it over to you, Casey, what do you make of all these injuries that's going on in the NFL? Yeah, it's kind of crazy to see so many star players for the 49ers get injured. And for somebody that's been injured a lot, I've had a lot of injuries. And most of them, believe it or not, have been on turf. So, I mean, turf does it, – it's really hard on your knees. You don't want to slide on it. I mean, being a soccer player, I had turf burns growing up all the way up my legs from turf. So, I hate turf with all – like, all my gut. And, yeah, it's injuries are just unfortunate. We've all had them. We've all gone through them. We're all people that like sports and play sports. So dealing with injuries is terrible. But I think the 49ers will be fine. Like you guys said, they have a pretty easy schedule going the next couple of weeks, and then they, it starts to ramp up. But, yeah, injuries are just unfortunate. Yeah, and Sean, Sean mentioned it briefly at the beginning of what he was saying. Sean, do you think all these injuries are – cause because there was no preseason this year and because teams had so many limited practices leading up to this uh, strange COVID season? Definitely not having a preseason and not having as much of a workload in training camp definitely was a big part of it. It is hard to go from zero to 100, especially in a fast and physical sport like the NFL. That was definitely, I think, the biggest contributor to this, along with all the other injuries. We knew at some point that injuries were going to start to pile up. We didn't fully maybe expect it to start this soon. But, but when it's just rampant, it's just a very obvious situation. The same goes for Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball it is also really bad how many injuries there are right now. The Atlanta Braves basically lost their entire starting rotation to injury this season on top of – the New York Yankees getting battered, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Baseball's having the same, had the same problem, and the NFL's having the same problem. When you do a full season, and without a little 
training camp, spring training, whatever to prepare, it's not going to go very well. This is just what happens. Yeah, you would think, I mean, you would think the MLB would want to do like a two-week spring training to get, to get the players back into it. I mean, spring training, the key guys only play three to six innings leading up, get their tune-up, they get a lot of rest, they try not to go zero to 100, like you said. And then the gruesome sport like the NFL, I mean, I just don't see how you can jump just straight into games. But unfortunately, this is 2020 that we're living in. It's all messed up, and we just got to roll with the punches. But, Sean, I'm going to start with you. What is one key injury from one particular team that you think is going to cost them in the long run? Christian McCaffrey's injury is really detrimental to the Carolina Panthers. He is their entire offense. He's their star running back. He's also their best receiver. And he and Teddy Bridgewater, it was a fun duo. Yes, they were 0-2, but the Panthers did look like they could contend with a few teams and maybe play spoiler, but I, I expected them to be a wildcard contender. That bold pick obviously is not working out, but not having Christian McCaffrey, Teddy Bridgewater is going to have to carry it. And like Jared Goff, he's not the kind of quarterback that can do that. So the Panthers are really – it's going to be a rough few weeks for them. But get a high draft pick, maybe even get Trevor Lawrence. Can you imagine that? Yeah, crazy after paying Teddy Bridgewater that the option of maybe getting Trevor Lawrence is in the equation. But I totally agree with you. I mean, Christian McCaffrey, he is their whole offense. He makes them go. He is everything. He catches passes out of the backfield. He rushes for almost 100 yards a game. He had 1,000 yards rushing, 1,000 yards receiving last year. I mean, the guy's just an absolute stud. But since you touched up on Christian McCaffrey and the Panthers, I'm going to have to go over to Saquon Barkley and the Giants for basically the same reason. I mean, the Giants are abysmal. They're 0-2. They have a young quarterback that they like in Daniel Jones, a first-year head coach. And Saquon Barkley, he's a freak. I mean, he's a specimen, as I like to call him. I mean, they, call him, they don't call him Saquads for nothing. I mean, he, he's electrically fast. He can jump cut. He can hurdle people. And he's just dynamic on the field to watch. And not having him in the game and having such a severe torn ACL on a play that happened, it's just – it's a bummer to all fans watching, and it's a bummer to everyone who drafted him in fantasy, like myself or one of my leagues. But like I said, 2020 That's is rough. brutal. 2020 is brutal. We're just going to have to keep rolling with the punches, going to have to pick up some free agents and move on. But, Sean, who do you think – benefits from these injuries a team like the Cardinals seeing that the 49ers are kind of down or another team team that benefits from an injury when you look at when you look at this kind of question you have to determine what injury state that that team is in as well I think the biggest one is the Las Vegas Raiders because the Broncos are in the injury mess to say the least as well they're probably the second team that's the worst off behind the 49ers Vaughn Miller is out for the season before week one. Cortland Sutton's now out for the season. Now Drew Locke is going to be out a few weeks. That's three of their best players right there that are going to at least miss significant time. So the Broncos, I thought were going to be second place in the AFC West. That's not going to happen anymore. It is now going to be the Las Vegas Raiders who looked incredible Monday night against New Orleans Saints. Their offense was so balanced. 
and I think they will take over the Broncos spot as the second place team in the AFC West, benefiting from all their injuries and expect the Raiders to be in the thick of the wildcard race, if not automatically get it before other teams do. I totally agree with you. The Las Vegas Raiders looked special Monday night. I mean, they controlled that game for all 60 minutes. But I'm going to have to go with the 49ers. Um, I'm actually have to go with the Cardinals in this one because of the 49ers injuries. I mean, that division is so tough this year. They have three 2-0 teams in the Rams, um, the Rams, the Seahawks, and the Arizona Cardinals. Yes, the Arizona Cardinals have had two easy opponent, opponents in the first two weeks, but – if they can rattle off some more wins and the 49ers just fall deeper in the standings every week, that would just help the Cardinals' chances of getting a six or a seven seed for the wild card, especially in a tough division like that. Not all four teams are going to end up making the playoffs, especially when they have to play six games between each other. But that is going to wrap up this half-hour segment here on the Double Double. Stay tuned. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning into the Double Double here on KLJX LP Flagstaff. I'm your host, Chad Piper, alongside my co-host, Casey Everett. And we don't have any guests with us right now, as it's just going to be me and Casey for this last half-hour segment. We wrapped up a great conversation talking about all the crazy NFL injuries. Is it a cause because there was no preseason? I mean, it's pretty crazy to go into a gruesome sport like the NFL with no preseason games going straight from 0 to 100. Is that the cause? We're not sure. And we wrapped up Gareth Bale's transfer back to the Tottenham Hotspurs on loan for a year from Real Madrid. But now moving back into some basketball. And first, we're going to talk about the Brooklyn Nets hiring Steve Nash. What do you think of this move, Casey? I think it's very interesting, but it kind of does make sense. So Steve Nash was helping out with the Golden State Warriors when Kevin Durant was there. So I think they bonded over that, and then Kyrie was just like, yeah, let's do it, and they hired him. I don't think there is anything too crazy about it. A lot of the media is saying, like, oh, it's white privilege, oh, this, those, that. But I think it's going to be an interesting move for the Brooklyn Nets moving forward just because he's never really coached in the NBA before. I don't even think he was an assistant coach before. So it should be interesting to see how the Nets do next season. I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I absolutely love this move. And I'm going to for two reasons. Like you touched up on about Kevin Durant and Steve Nash having a connection when Steve Nash was working as a player development coach for the Golden State Warriors the past couple seasons. That is one reason. But also pairing Steve Nash's offensive mind and the type of guard Steve Nash was, he was a pass-first type player that could still also score at will, being undersized. I think that is going to tremendously benefit a guy like Kyrie Irving. I mean, Kyrie Irving is a special score. I mean, the dude can drop 40, 50 points on any given night. But when it comes to crunch time, I think Kyrie Irving sometimes, he is a little selfish. He doesn't always make the right play. He always wants to be the one to make the game-winning shot, be the one to make the big play. But when you have a guy like Kevin Durant alongside you, someone who is arguably the best scorer in the NBA, arguably the best scorer of all time being seven feet tall, can shoot the three well, can shoot 90-plus percent at the free throw line, and can handle the ball like a guard. Pairing those two up with a mind like Steve Nash is going to take this team to the next level. And you could tell that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving wanted Nate McMillan out of there. You could tell they were over his ways. You could tell that they didn't like Spencer Dinwiddie getting all the shine. But 
that is the era we in now. The players can kind of control who to hire and who to get rid of. But going back to what you just touched up upon about white privilege and Stephen A. Smith said it was right white privilege right when this news got released. Do you think this was white privilege? No, not at all. I mean, you could Kevin Durant wanted him. Kyrie Irving agreed. GM hired him. That's it. There's no – I don't know why this is a narrative of, like, oh, white privilege. Like, there's not many coaches that they wanted, and you could tell because they didn't hire them. So I think Stephen A. Smith is one of those guys that just talks and talks and talks and always plays the narrative. So I don't think it was anything to do with white privilege. I think it was the best intentions for the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I totally agree with you. I mean, a guy like Steve Nash, well-respected around the NBA – a Hall of Famer, if he isn't yet. I mean, he's he won a co- he won a couple MVPs, but I mean, why not try a new guy like Steve Nash, a guy with such a great basketball mind? Why try a guy like Mike D'Antoni that just keeps going around the league to different teams? Why try a guy like David Fisdale? I mean, try a new shooter, and I I'm very interested to see how this move works out for the Brooklyn Nets next season. But moving on to the Chicago Bulls and their recent hire in Billy Donovan. What do you make of this hire? Do you like it or do you not? I, I like it. I mean, I think it was maybe weird that he left the Thunder and people might be like, why did he leave? But I think him going to the Chicago Bulls is a good move for him. He's going to have a young team uh, that's pretty good, actually, with Laurie Markkinen, uh, Zach Levine. They have a good defensive guard with Chris Dunn. And they're just getting better and better each year. So I think it was a good move for him. They they could pull off like another OKC and come out of nowhere and make the playoffs next year. You never know. So I think it's a good move on the Chicago Bulls part to hire Billy Donovan. I agree with you as well. I like this move too because OKC was kind of in the same situation. I mean, they got Chris Paul in the offseason. They had good guards and Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Dennis Schroeder. And they came out of nowhere this year. And you can just feel that the Bulls are kind of ready to make that next jump in the standings. They have a future superstar in Zach Levine. They have a great young big man in Laurie Marketing. And, I mean, Kobe White burst on the scene last year as a rookie, kind of came from nowhere, had a couple of 30-point games, a couple of huge games. And Billy Donovan just seems like that guy that can just elevate their team, seems like he has that experience and that knowledge to just push them to the next step. And you could tell, I feel like he, I feel like OKC Thunder, or OKC, Oklahoma City Thunder, pardon me, are about to go into a rebuild. It doesn't really seem like they're going to keep Chris Paul in that big contract that he has. And they have a whole bunch of draft picks coming up after that Paul George trade. It seems like they're going to go into a rebuild, and Billy Donovan didn't really seem to want to be a part of that. So going to the Bulls kind of is, the same situation is now with the Thunder, but instead of going backwards after taking 10 steps forward, they're just going to keep trying to go forward. So yeah. I feel like he was very happy with that. But do you have anything to add onto the Brooklyn Nets or the Chicago Bulls before we jump into the next one? Yeah, Um. also going back to the Chicago Bulls, Anthony Davis is a free agent this year, and he's from Chicago. So if he wants to go to the Bulls, if the Lakers don't win the championship and he doesn't want to sign an extension – might be a good move. So they could be a playoff contender right off the bat next year, just signing Anthony Davis. So that could be interesting. Yeah, that, that would be very interesting. But let me ask you one question. If you were sitting at a table 
and on one end was LeBron James, and on the other <laughs> end was you, Anthony Davis. Would you say no to LeBron James and leave him? If I don't win a championship and I want to go back home to Chicago, see my family, especially with everything going on, it might be an ideal thing for him. Who knows? But if they do win a championship, there's no thought in my mind that he's not going to resign. So I guess yeah. we'll just have to see how the finals pan out. If yeah, it's there. also maybe it's one of those things where if he, if they do win a championship, he's kind of like, oh, I finally got this ring. Why don't I go back to my hometown? I mean, LeBron only has three years left. So it could, it's very interesting both ways. Pull a Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> yeah, you could pull Kawhi Leonard and win a championship with one year in a new place. You don't like it and move to where you want to be and where you want to establish your family and your kids and your future life. But uh, moving on, and we'll start with the Oklahoma City Thunder since they just lost their head coach. And it is kind of the head coaching season where teams are going to be interviewing head coaches off season to find that right fit. Starting with the Oklahoma City Thunder, if you were the GM, who would you consider to be your head coach or who would you pick to be, the, uh, to be your head coach for the next couple seasons? I have three possible contenders for this, and it's Brett Brown, Nate McMillan, and Kenny Atkinson. And the reason I would think Brett Brown would be a good fit is because he's been in, he was in the Spurs system meeting and he already meted well he landed in San Antonio after meeting RC Buford um, at a basketball camp his first job was in uh, San Antonio as director of player development went up with that so I think um, with him working with the very youngsters like uh, Presti helped draft as director and player personnel I think it's just a good move for him. He just got fired as a 76ers coach. He's looking for a new job. He can take his teams to playoffs. Um, but also they might – and he's been through the process as well. So I think it might be a good move if they're if the OKC Thunder are going to go through a rebuild, that Brett Brown be the head of it because he's been through it before and kind of knows how to handle it. So, um, but with Nate McMillan, uh, I don't know. I just think those are the top three right now, but I'm going to go for Brett Brown at this point. Yeah, like you said, Brett Brown sounds like a, a very good candidate for the job. Being through a rebuild with the Philadelphia 76ers, never really getting to that ultimate goal that they had with the whole trust the process. But they, they were a top seed in the playoffs. They were a sixth seed this year because they had a ton of injuries. But, I mean, having guys like Joel Embiid, um, Ben Simmons, and the guys they had around them, Brett Brown seems like a very solid candidate that I would want as a head coach going through a rebuild. But for me, I'm going to have to go with uh, Becky Hannon and being the first women's NBA basketball coach in history. And here's, here's why. I feel like when I watch the Spurs, I see the players respect her. I don't see the players walk away. I don't see the players rolling their eyes. I don't see them bashing her in the media saying, oh, she's a girl. She doesn't know what she's talking about, this, this, and this. Everything I've heard come out of the Spurs is – has been very highly of Becky Hannon. And I feel like she wants to leave the Spurs. She has been there for the past couple years as an um, assistant head coach. And she kind of got taken over this past year. I mean, the heir to the Spurs was, it looked like it was going to be hers. But Tim Duncan surprisingly took an assistant role with the team. And when Greg Popovich missed a couple games because he didn't come back because of the COVID, he didn't come to the bubble. And when he got thrown out a couple games, 
it wasn't Becky Hannon that took over. It was Tim Duncan. And I feel like that just kind of rubbed her the wrong way. Yes, Tim Duncan is a great was a great player. Him and Popovich did great things together. So it seems like he has really leapfrogged her. And Becky Hannon, I mean, she can – I'd be very surprised to see what she could do with that team. She's a great young mind. And Sam Presti has connections with the Spurs, so I feel like he would trust her in that role. But moving on to the New Orleans Pelicans, one of the most talked about teams this past season, the team that saw more games televised than almost any other team in the league because they have one guy, Zion Williamson. And they recently fired their head coach, Alvin Gentry. Who would be some of your candidates for that job? So there's two paths to this. They can go really boring and just hire their assistant coach, Chris Finch, and just go off that route because he's been there already. And I totally see that move happening. But I think personally that Tyron Lue is going to come and be the head coach of the New Orleans Pelicans. And I just think it would be a great fit. There's a lot of young guys. He can mold those minds. Um, he's, he's, a, he's a good coach. A lot of people don't give him credit for being a good coach, but when he was the coach of the Cavaliers, he was good. Um, and he did a stint with the Lakers as well. And he, they just said we're a bad team at the point. But yeah, I and think, he's with the Clippers right now too, isn't he? Yeah, and he's with the was. Clippers right now. Yeah. So – I think it would be a good move for him to get another head coaching job. I think he would be work well with Alonzo Ball, Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, and co. Jackson Hayes. They're going to be an incredible team in the future, and I think Tyron Luce sees that, and he can coach them to be that championship contender in the next three, four years. Um, but, yeah, I think Tyron Luce would be the perfect fit for them. Uh, Tyron Luce was definitely in as a candidate for my top three. But since you just briefly mentioned up, I'm going to talk about two other names, David Fisdale and Mike D'Antoni. I'm not – if you want to win a championship, don't hire Mike D'Antoni. If you want to be <laughs> an electric team that scores 140 points a game, that puts up points, that sells tickets, that has fans watch United and then hire him. The reason I say this is because they have really good young scores. Drew Holiday is a great two-way guard. He can match up with – almost any one through three position. He can score almost 20 points a game. Brandon Ingram has really bursted onto the scene this season. And Zion Williamson, I mean, the guy's just electric. But the downfall of hiring Mike D'Antoni is the New Orleans, New Orleans Pelicans do not shoot the ball from three well, which is Mike D'Antoni's recipe. I mean, Houston Rockets are, we're going to shoot more threes than you by a landslide. And if we can make 50, 40 to 50% of them, we should win the game. But when it came to the three-point percentage shooting by the New Orleans Pelicans, they were 18th in the league. So that probably wouldn't be a good move. If I was their coach, it would either be Tyron Lue or David Fisdale. And I say David Fisdale because, I mean, the guy signed a four-year contract with the New York Knicks. He got fired halfway or not even halfway, like 15 games into his second season because the team wasn't performing up to expectations. If you looked at the Knicks roster, they were performing as good as you thought they would. I mean, yeah, exactly. the team is super young. <laughs> the team is not very good. Yes, you have the fans at your neck because those fans are almost more loyal than any fan base in the NBA. But I just don't get why they fired him. You have to stick to a plan. It takes a couple years to rebuild. If it doesn't work after three, four years, all right, you fire him. But the Pelicans, they're ready to make the playoffs right now. They're ready to fight for those 
eight, seven, six seeds if Zion can stay healthy. And David Fisdale, I mean, he preaches defense when he was in Memphis as the Grizzlies head coach for two years. They were a defensive team with Mike Conley, Zach Randolph, and Marcus All, and they won playoff games. So, I mean, that's who I would hire if I was the Pelicans. But before getting into commercial, do you have any last words on any of these head coaching vacancies? Yeah, I just think that the David Fisdale move would actually be really good. I think the one thing that the Pelicans struggle on is defense. And that would, if they could – like Nate McMillan's been thrown around too because he's more defensive-minded too. But, yeah, I think that move would be good. Um, they need to work on their defense. Lonzo Ball is a premier defender at his position. He can guard one through two, maybe even three. He, he's so tall. And then Drew Holiday can guard one through three. Brandon Ingram needs to step it up defensively. I think Zion will be fine. But, yeah, they need to prove a little bit defensively. And if he comes – if Fizdale comes in and shapes that team into shape, then I think they'll be a playoff good, uh, team next year. Yeah, like you said, defense is – that's what that team needs. I mean, I'm pretty sure they were bottom in the league and points given up. And Lonzo Ball, he's 6'5". He can guard one through three. Drew Holiday as well. Brandon Ingram, yes, he is long. Yes, he is tall. He's a little undersized when it comes to weight. And Zion, he can, he can guard almost anyone except probably centers. And they have a young center in Jackson Hayes who is a freak when it comes to jumping out the gym and grabbing rebounds. Yeah, he's very electric. But on the defensive end, he is not the best because besides blocking shots, he is undersized when it comes to weight. But that is going to wrap up this segment, talking about the NBA and their head coaching vacancies. When we come back, we'll be moving into Casey's real-life example. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody, to the last segment of the Double Double here on KLJX LP Flagstaff. I'm here with Chad. We're closing it out. Um, I'm Casey, and we're going to go right into my real-life example to end it out here. So my real-life example is going to be about the Lakers and their win-now mentality. So the Lakers threw in all their chips into one basket to make one move to get Anthony Davis this past offseason by getting rid of their young core, such as Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, and future draft picks. Um the Lakers established a win-now mentality by doing this. They wanted to win with LeBron James and Anthony Davis at the helm. Uh, and this reminds me of a time where I worked at my local kids' recreation job. And I worked there five years, never asked for a raise, never asked for a promotion, but hoped that they would recognize that all the hard work I was doing and hope it panned out. I took a path that was different from the Lakers. The Lakers wanted that promotion more than I did. They wanted to go after it, try and win that trophy, and make a dynasty after LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Uh, the path they took is win-now mentality, and they want to hold up that Larry O'Brien trophy once again after a long drought. They could have sat down, and we went with that young core and waited a couple of years with an aging LeBron and wished for the best, hoping that they would win in the next few years when LeBron's 38, 39. I should have took the path that the Lakers did and went into my off boss's office, asked for a raise sooner than five years, and just asked for a raise, given a promotion or anything. And now they took the better path than I did. And I can admit that 
that they just did better than I did in the long run. And they're sitting pretty, making a run here at the title as we speak, leading the series over the Nuggets 2-1 to one in the Western Conference Finals. Um, if the Lakers did make this trade, they'd be waiting it out and hoping that Lonzo Ball would be the player that they, Magic Johnson wanted, being Magic Johnson's heir to the throne, or Brandon Ingram being the next Kevin Durant, or Josh Hart being uh, Josh Barkley, as they call him, and hoping those future first do something. But instead, they traded those away, hoping that they would win a title this year, and they wanted to win now. I wish I would have won now and not worked five years with the same pay, just hoping and waiting for a job opportunity or raise. So that's my real-life example for today. Great real-life example. Um, one question, uh, when it comes to this win-now mentality, and the Lakers, like you had mentioned, they have an aging LeBron who probably only has maybe three or four seasons left in him. And uh, Anthony Davis that might not stick around with the Lakers once this guy, LeBron James, retires. Because, I mean, I'm pretty sure he will retire as the Los Angeles Laker. Would you, knowing that the knowing that LeBron only has three years and that after he's done, Anthony Davis leaves and you have to do this rebuild again, would it be worth it to go through that rebuild after this three years if it guarantees you one championship in this next three years? I think as a dynasty, the Lakers will go down as probably the greatest franchise to ever bless the basketball earth. And I say this with them winning so many Larry O'Brien trophies and having the superstars that they have they're not used to going through rebuilds they want to always win now but they had to do it because they didn't have the assets until now to get a star player like Anthony Davis so I think to the Lakers that it is like one of those things where we have to win now get us back on the map and if we win a championship this year Anthony Davis is probably going to come back so that means we're going to be title contenders next year and the year after that, and if Anthony Davis signs a four-year deal and stays till LeBron uh, retires or moves because Bronny James is in the NBA and wants to play with his son, <laughs> then I think it's beneficial for the Lakers in the long run. I mean, they, they're not used to losing. And as a fan base, I can already – I know a bunch of Lakers fans being from Southern California, you probably do too, that they're, they hate losing. And if they don't make the playoffs, it's like – they're going to burn everything in the city. It's one of, it's just, they, they want to win every time they're on the floor and they want to win that Larry O'Brien trophy in the end always. And that's just how it always has been. So I think it's worth it in the long run. Definitely. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, the Lakers, they've always won. They have 16 championships, just second to the Boston Celtics who happen to have 17. And you can just tell that the Lakers are chasing that one more because they want to be tied with the Celtics. They want to eventually pass the Celtics and be that prestigious team because back in the old days in the 70s, 80s, the, even the 60s, the Lakers and Celtics were battling out for championships almost every year, back when it was Magic Johnson versus Larry Bird, back when it was even early 2000s, Kobe Bryant versus the big three of the Celtics. And it's crazy to think that Laker fans are crying for not having won in like the past – five to eight years or even make the playoffs. I mean, me personally, I'm from Southern California as well, and I'm a San Diego Padre fan. We've never won in our entire existence. So, I mean, 
there's different ways to look at it. There's different mentalities and there's different ways to go about it for sure. Yeah. And going off of that, it's like the Lakers are like the Yankees in this situation always bragging about their rings, how many they have and they hate losing. And I mean, it's a good mentality to have. You want to always see your team do well. And if they don't, I mean, it's not the do or die situation, but it seems like it in their case. And if like the Yankees don't make it to the playoffs or even a world series at this point, they're like, what's going on? We need to fire everybody, get a new coach. We need to rebuild something. We need to trade all of our assets away. And it's kind of like what the Lakers did by trading away all their assets just to try and get that championship with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. So, but that's going to wrap this uh, segment and our last segment of the double double here on KLJX. LP Flagstaff. I would like to thank Chad for being on and listening to my story about me never getting a raise because, yeah, it's kind of embarrassing. After five years, you would think I would finally get something. But um, the Lakers are here to win it all, and we'll just have to see what happens in the next couple days if they pull it off against the Nuggets. So thank you guys for watching or listening, and see you guys next week.